In the next couple of weeks, we'll be back into the book of 1 Corinthians, which will keep us going until the summer. But I thought we'd do something a little bit different this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, or if you've got a church Bible, if you go right to the beginning and turn to page 12, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9 in a minute. If you know anything about the the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis is all about beginnings. It's about the creation, about God making the universe. It's about the beginnings of sin and rebellion against God. It's about the beginnings of human civilization. And then you get this series of judgment events where you get Adam and Eve, you then get Noah, you then get the Tower of Babel. And then we get to chapter 12 and the call of this man, Abraham, who later becomes Abraham. And everything starts to change. Because this is the beginning of the rescue that will culminate in Jesus. So what we find right early on in Genesis points us all the way to the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So if you've got the Bible in front of you, let's have a read, shall we? I'm going to actually read from chapter 11, verse 31, just to give us a bit of context. There's only a couple of extra verses. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram, and together set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And on all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah in Sheshem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on to the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Let's pray again, shall we? Lord, I want to thank you for the account of this man from so many thousands of years ago. About how he was obedient to you. And I want to pray that in our day, in our time, that we will be people who will hear your call and be prepared to go where you send us. And so, Lord, by your Holy Spirit this morning, I just ask that you will illuminate this passage to us. Help it to to come to life in our hearts. We ask it in your name. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed, but society tells us that life is often about climbing. I don't mean physical climbing, but sort of climbing ladders, of success in all kinds of different areas 
of life. Here's a well-known modern philosopher. <laughs> Life's a climb, but the view is great. Often, we feel that we're pressurized into taking steps moving forward. Now, we start life quite simply, don't we? We were at a friend's barbecue yesterday, and there was this really cute 18-month-old. And he was learning the first rungs of the ladder. So he was learning how to eat. He was learning how to communicate with people. He kept coming over and waving. Why do we wave? Have you ever wondered that? Why do we wave? But anyway, he was, he was waving. And then as time progresses, as we get a bit older and a bit bigger, we start learning other things, don't we? We start to learn the difference between right and wrong. And we start to climb that ladder of getting into being more and more civilized human being. And then there's educational ladders. You know, our elder son, Timothy, is just about to do his stats. And he's actually quite nervous, because this is the first set of real, if you like, exams that he's done. And it won't be the last. You know, if he carries on, he'll do GCSEs, A-levels, a degree. He might carry on beyond that. He might do an MA. He might go and do a doctorate, post-doctorate studies, and the ladder goes up and up and up. Then there's other ladders. There may be relationship ladders. There may be career goal ladders. There may be material ladders. You know, you, you may be here this morning. You may be trying to get onto the housing ladder. Perhaps when you started out looking for somewhere to live, a room would have been sufficient. But then you want a bigger house. Then a bigger house. Then a house with rooms you never go into. Then a house with rooms that you don't know what they're there for. And then you go up another rung, and you actually, you don't want all those extra rooms. You just want somewhere safer. And so the ladder keeps on going up. Now, those might not be bad ladders to want to try and climb. But it's ladders. We may find ourselves trying to climb many ladders at once. And it can become very stressful. What we really need is a strong and stable ladder. You may have heard that before this week. Start thinking. Election? Twigging? No, never mind. And then all around us, society keeps saying things like this. If you're climbing the ladder of life, you go rung by rung, one step at a time. Don't look up too far. Set your goals high, but take one step at a time. Sometimes you don't think you're progressing until you step back and see how high you've really gone. But then there's a problem. The amount of people I've spoken to over the years who've been climbing all kinds of different ladders, but then actually what happens is they get to the top and they realize there is still a massive emptiness going on inside. That something like this actually ends up being true. People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success, only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Now you may be thinking, what on earth has this got to do with Abraham? Surely if we wanted to talk about ladders this morning, Jacob would have been a better bet, and we'd have got a song thrown in for free. But actually, bear with me, and hopefully we'll, we'll try and draw these strands together. Abraham is called by God. There's just a lot of ladders, just to keep you thinking about ladders. <laughs> Abraham is called by God. I don't know who did that, by the way. It's amazing, isn't it? But anyway, Abraham is called by God, totally out of the blue. And in the narrative of Genesis, if you look through when God has last spoken, God last spoke to Noah before Abraham. That was 400 years previously, if you, if you work through the genealogies. That's a long time. If you imagine that in our national life, that's like God speaking in the reign of James I, or if you're from north of the border, James VI, and then not saying anything to anybody until today. And then he speaks again. What an enormous 
time gap. What an amount of stuff that's happened in that 400-year period. And imagine you're Abraham. How do you know this is God that's speaking to you? How do you recognize God's voice when he hasn't spoken for so long? He may not even have heard of the Lord. We we just do not know. There is nothing in Genesis that opens our eyes anymore. But you know, I think there is something about the voice of God that is recognizable to us as the creation. There is something about the voice of God. We see it time and time again in the Bible, and we hear it in people's testimonies. I don't know if you were here a few weeks back when Mike Welsh was speaking. Just give us a wave, Mike, just in case you're wondering who Mike is. There's Mike sat there at the back. And he was sharing something of his testimony about how he'd encountered God at a time when he was an atheist, yet he knew it was God speaking to him. Is that, is that a good summary? That's a good summary? It clearly was. How did you know it was God? Yeah. There's something about us as the, the created that starts to recognize the voice of the Creator. That doesn't mean we have a fully worked out theology when God first speaks to us. It doesn't mean we suddenly understand everything there is about God. Abraham didn't at this point. But just that we know that it cannot be anything else but God speaking. But this is fascinating when God speaks here. Why does God speak to Abraham? Why? Does somebody want to give me an answer? Go on, Ralph, you look like giving an answer. He had a plan for him. He wants relationship with Abraham. Because out of Abraham, he will then want relationship with all of us. This is God working through grace, entering into relationship through his creation. And this eventually culminates in Jesus. Let's look at verse 1. Let's go through the passage. Go from your country your people, and your father's household. The call of God is to get up physically and go somewhere else at this point. And there are three things that Abraham is called to leave. First of all, his country, a pillar of identity. Over recent years, I think we've noticed on the political scene that country identity has sort of come to the fore. I don't know if you've been following the French elections and all the debates on who are the true patriots, who are the true nationals. And it's something that is is very key in modern politics. God says to Abraham, leave all that behind. Leave all that behind. Forget all about that. The next thing, he's told to leave your people. This probably means leave your your tribe, your your location, that that area that you've become accustomed to. I was talking to a a couple of people on the door um, the other week on the way out, and we were talking about local identity. And we were sort of saying, do you feel more British, English, European, or something else. And as we went on, I realized, actually, my strongest sense of identity was as being from the north. It wasn't anything else. It was as a northerner. And I think that's because I'd lived in the south, and it just sort of sharpened my northern resolve. <laughs> but Abraham is told, leave all that. Leave that sense of identity. Just leave it. Leave it behind. And the next one, it gets even more personal. Your father's household. In ancient cultures, the family, the extended family unit was so important. Because it was only through an extended family that you got any kind of support and you could accumulate any kind of wealth or sort of standing in a community. Abraham is told, leave all that. Yes, you'll take some of your family with you, but leave that big family unit and go to the land that I will show you. 
Then in verses 2 and 3, we get the promise of God to Abraham. And there's a promise to make him a great nation. There's a promise to bless him, to give him a great name, to bless those he blesses, and the reverse is also true. And then the great promise at the end, that the whole earth will be blessed through him. Like I keep saying, this is the start of the journey that will end with Jesus, will end with God sending his Messiah. So having heard the Lord, having heard God speak, he gets up, takes some of his family, some of his belongings, and off he goes. And look at verse 4. It's an interesting little side bit. Look at his age. He's 75 years old when he responds to God's call. If we think about that in modern terms, most people at 75 are probably thinking of a nice, settled retirement. So at that point, God breaks in and says, off you go. Go and be involved in what I have for you. And then the next few verses tell us a bit more about Abraham. Looks like he'd actually been quite a wealthy man. He's accumulated lots of possessions and people, that's probably servants and things. Now, I don't know much about the goals of somebody 4,000 years ago. I don't know what that ladder of success meant 4,000 years ago. But I would imagine that Abraham was quite near the top of it. Because he's somebody, he's got land, he's got possessions, he's got a close family, he's got all these things that, that would be the elements of success. They'd moved from Haran to Ur and they settled there. Settling down was a big plus at this time because it meant you could accumulate more. But from this, God calls him. And from being somebody who has all this stuff, all this land, all this settledness, he goes and becomes a wanderer. Goes off wandering into the desert. He needs to be somewhere else. His ladder, if you like, of success has been on the wrong wall. And now God has called him to place it on his wall and says, are you with me? Does he know what the future holds? No. Does he know where he's going? No. Does he know what he'll do when he gets there? No. All he knows is that God has called him and given him a promise. One of the writers on Genesis says this about this, and I think this is an amazing quote. That as God calls Abraham, God is the guarantor of the outcome, whatever the outcome may be. Just read that again. God is the guarantor of the outcome, whatever the outcome may be. Now, I think it's such an important point that we, we sort of take note of that here. Because sometimes, you know, when God calls us, and it can be to all kinds of things, it can be to serve him in the church, it can be to get involved in something in our community, it can be a particular career path, it can be to go overseas and serve him in missions somewhere or whatever. Often we can't see very far ahead. We can't see what God is going to do with us. But what we do need to remember is who it is who is calling. And if God calls, God is the guarantor of that calling. So God calls Abraham with a promise in tow. There is a big cost, the stakes are high, but the caller is the maker of heaven and earth. In my own life experience, when I've sensed, and when as a couple, me and Claire have sensed God call us to do things, all that we sometimes sort of have felt is a, is a vague sense that this is God, and then that might be confirmed by people and circumstances. But you know, never once has God sent me a legal contract to sign. 
Never once has he given me a document with a load of small print saying, do you want to go and weigh this up and see if it fits with your agenda? Because if he were to do that, we wouldn't need to be people of faith. We wouldn't need to trust. We'd just go through cold logic and see if it works for us. Instead, God calls us to a life of faith, a life of purpose, a life of going with the purposes of the kingdom of God. So off Abraham goes, and he arrives in the land of Canaan, to the great tree of Morah, which is apparently a tree of oracle. And the Lord starts to reveal a little bit more to him about what is going on here. To your offspring, this is the Lord speaking, I will give this land. What does Abraham do? Well, he worships the Lord. He sees God's plan unfolding, and he worships him at this point. Now, I find this really fascinating here. I don't know if you noticed something as we read through from the previous chapter. Abraham's dad, Terah, originally had set off to go to Canaan. God hadn't spoken at that point, but he started to set off to go to somewhere. He'd ended up going from Ur of the Chaldeans to a place called Haran. But actually then, God's call is what had originally been laid on Terah's heart, even though Terah didn't know that that was God. Do you see the pattern that's going on there? So Abraham almost accidentally ends up where God wants him. It's amazing how God sometimes works in our life. Look at this psalm. Psalm 37, verses 3 to 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and he will do this. Trust in him, sorry, and he will do this. Trust, living with God, a life committed to him. What does God promise? I will give you the desires of your heart. Those things that are in your heart that have been given by the Lord will be fulfilled. I want to bring us back to the ladder. Think about a ladder for a few minutes. Which ladder are you trying to climb in your life at the moment? You know, we can read a psalm like Psalm 37, and we could take that middle bit just out of context. He will give you the desires of your heart. And we could start desiring all kinds of things that have nothing to do with what God would want for us. Maybe selfish desires, or or greedy desires, or sexually immoral desires, or unjust desires. But actually, the desires of our heart, the psalmist says, need to be set within the context of delighting in who God is, being committed to his ways. So it's that kind of circular thing. If we love God, if we delight in him, if we commit to Jesus really being Lord, then the desires of our heart will become those things that actually God wants for us in the first place. And so God will give us desires that then he is able to fulfill in us. So I think that psalm as well asks us a question, which ladder are we trying to climb in life? Which ladder is it that we're climbing? Let's go back to Abraham. Verse 8. He's on the move again. And the next dozen chapters or so, if you've got time this afternoon, sit and read Genesis. It's a fantastic read, great book. And the chapters ahead will tell us of all the ups and downs of Abraham's life. 
Some of it will be great. Some of it we will see Abraham come out in a really good light. Other times we realize that he's human just like you and me and he fails and he messes things up. But actually the promise of God underpins the whole of what happens. I fear that I'm getting into that middle-aged part of life. You may say, you're not getting there. You're already there. (laughs) But I'm quite an active person, generally. I like being outside. I like doing stuff like out walking, you know, being in the mountains, climbing, or whatever it is, or in the garden, just digging holes for no apparent reason. (laughs) And um, that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy. But there are some times in an evening when if I've not got anything on with church, we're not going out anywhere, I can sit there and I'm looking forward to putting the kettle on, making a cup of tea, sticking Netflix on, and watching a film. Does that make me really sad? (laughs) (laughs) Who said yes? (laughs) I don't think Claire can say yes because she joins in, so that's... (laughs) But it's just a reminder that there's something in all of us that likes home comforts. There's something in all of us, I think, that actually just likes to shut out the world, put the kettle on, just relax and sit and switch off, and that's it. Home comforts. What could be better than that? You know, God is not the God who calls us to be comfortable. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sitting and having a brew and watching something on the telly. But he is not the God who ultimately calls his people to be settled down into the nice comfort of a life that just suits us. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says this, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's very similar to the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. But it's basically what Jesus is saying is he wants people who are prepared to go. To be sent people to go with the good news of the resurrected Jesus, to go and proclaim the gospel right across the world, whether that's in Lim, whether it's just locally, or whether that's globally. And from the time of Abraham onwards, what has God been doing? He's been removing people from the comfortable and sending them off into the uncomfortable. He's been causing people to get the ladder off their own walls and say, actually, will you come and put it on the wall of my kingdom and start to think about kingdom success and not my own success. Now, don't hear me wrong. There is nothing at all wrong with being a success at work or wanting a nice house or all those kind of things. But this is a question of priority. What are our priorities this morning? Now, God may call us. He will call us to go. That go might not mean to do an Abraham. It might not be today that you go home and suddenly you feel God has sent, I want you to just sell everything and go and go where I call you. But he might do. God has done that and continues to do that to people. It might be that actually God wants to call you where you are to change your priorities so that actually your priorities are not serving yourself but serving him. Making him known where you live, where you work and all those kind of things. God's call is to the call of changed priorities. So that our priorities become the priorities of God's kingdom. Of sharing the gospel over making a name for ourselves. So just think back to the ladder. Think back to the ladder. Which ladder is priority for you? 
Is it the ladder of career success? Is it the housing ladder? Is it the car ladder, if there is such a thing? Or is it the ladder of seeking to do what God wants for you? The priorities of God's kingdom. So first of all, whose wall is your ladder resting on? Just think about that for a moment. Secondly, are the desires, your desires, or God's desires for you? Are they your desires or God's desires for you? Now, if the answer to your first question is actually, well, if I'm totally honest this morning, I'm not really following God's ways. I don't want to be sent. I don't want to be called. Following is just a bit out of my way. Do you want that to change? Do you want to become a person like Abraham? You know, we can all sit here this morning and we can make excuses to ourselves. Abraham could have said, sorry, Lord, I'm too old. I just want to sit down with a good scroll and and relax in my tent. We can find those same excuses. I'm too old. I'm too young. King David was very young when God started to use him. I've not got any experience. I don't think Abraham had any, any experience of being obedient to God at this point either. I'm not trained. I don't know what I'd do. I don't know what God is calling me to do. John Wesley once said this. He said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. Do we desire God, first of all, in our priorities? If you were here last week, Chris was sharing with us about the certain hope of the resurrection. You know, if we really believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, if that really has gripped us and convicts us and sends us out to proclaim the gospel, then just read that from Romans chapter 8. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. You see, God guarantees the outcome when he calls us. Not just for this life, but that's for eternity. The risk of changing the wall our ladder is placed on from ourselves to God's priorities is actually underpinned, underwritten, guaranteed by God himself. You know, in life, there are some risks that are not worth taking. But there are some risks that are worth taking. And the risk of changing to God's priorities, I believe, is the greatest risk that we could take this morning. And say, Lord, will you use me? Will you call me? Will you send me? So as we head into a new term, we've got some things going on in the life of our church at the moment. We've got Alpha starting this week. It may be that this call to go and be sent simply means for some of us that we need to take the risk of inviting somebody along to Alpha. Will we take that risk? Will we give Scott a headache to think how to feed all these people? Scott's nodding. He would like that headache. Will we share the hope that God has put in us through the resurrection of his son Jesus? Will we make that our priority? As we look to the future of our church and thinking about being a missional church, having different pockets around the area where we're seeking to reach out with the love and the good news of Jesus, 
Will we as a church be a church who is prioritised in being sent and being a people who go? Or do we just want to sit back in comfort? Which ladder is it we're wanting to climb together? Are we with God's agenda or our own agenda? Let's just spend a few moments in quiet and let's ask the Lord to, to speak to us, to call us individually. We know from Scripture that God has called each of us to go. That is not in question. What we need to ask God to do is say, well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? So just leave a few moments just of quiet. Just do business with the Lord. Speak to to God in your heart, and then I'll lead us in prayer.